Attend while in high school. Jumpstart your career. Your high tech training starts here. Van Buren Tech, your career, your future, your life. The Breakfast Club on WCSY FM South Haven is paid for by Enterprises LLC. Welcome to The Breakfast Club on Super Hits 103.7 Cozy FM. Highlighting what's good every Friday morning as experts, organizations, and event planners focus on the positive and relevant ways to experience hope. Teresa Getman, Rosalie Placati, and Paul Leyendecker are your hosts on Cozy and the podcast at WCSY.com. The Breakfast Club is sponsored by... Whiteford Wealth Management in South Haven. Let them help you build wealth at whitefordwealth.com. The South Haven, Bangor, and St. Joseph Banking Centers of Sturgis Bank and Vassar Chiropractic and Rehabilitation for a different chiropractic experience. VassarChiropractic.com. Now, today's Breakfast Club on Cozy. Well, good morning. I'm Paul Andecker with Teresa R. Getman and Rosalie Placati. Teresa, introduce us to our reluctant author, Yes, very reluctant author, but I'm so glad that she took the nudge and uh, wrote her book. We have none other than Rosemary Thornton here with us this morning. Good morning, Rosemary. Good morning. Now, okay, the topic that we're going (laughs) that we're going to address today might not be all soft and cheery, but it needs to be addressed. And there's two things we're going to talk about. We are going to talk about what I call a near-death experience, but you've renamed it, and I want to get all into that. And we're also going to talk about and just tell the truth and shame the devil about suicide. (laughs) Good plan. So good morning. I've never heard that expression. I'm from the South, so I should have heard that expression before. Yes. Well, you know, tell us about your book, number one. Tell us how you got here to this point. Oh, man. Uh, 64 years reduced to 12 seconds might be tough, but uh, I I don't know. Somehow I wandered into being an author. I've written for pretty much everything, newspapers, magazines. I found an opportunity to write a book about uh, Kit Holmes, and it seemed to have become my topic. And uh, I wrote a few books about Kit Holmes and architectural history, and I I don't like writing. I don't think anybody does. There's a great quote from Dorothy Parker, which says, I hate writing. I love having written. And I think that's true. (laughs) That's very. So I am a reluctant writer. I had written nine books when this experience happened that occasioned the the 10th book. And several people said, oh, you've got to write a book about that. And I said, no, no, and double no. That's (laughs) not happening. And what turned you around to doing it? Well, I gave a couple talks. This was right before COVID really hit hard. And I gave a couple public talks. And in one of the talks, I shared a story and a woman stood up and she said, uh, I'm in the medical profession and you really need to write a book about this experience because we don't do There's a lot of talk about mental health these days, but we don't talk much about what to do about somebody who is, has average mental health, but then hits trauma which just devastates them. And the specific story right after my husband's suicide, couldn't eat, couldn't drink. My daughter dragged me to one of the uh, urgent care places and there was a very pleasant older doctor there. And he walked into the little room and I'm sitting on the exam table. He sees my daughter and me and he says, so ladies, what's the problem? 
And my daughter says her husband killed her, killed himself and she hasn't been able to eat or drink since. We need something to help her calm down so she can start drinking again. And the doctor literally threw his arms back, backed up against the wall and said, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. The same thing happened to my aunt Bertha and she was never right ahead in the, never right in the head again. <laughs> and I did say to the doctor, to my credit, I said, forget the volume. I'll take a hit of cyanide. Yeah. No kidding. So. The thing is, and he composed himself. To my daughter's credit, she said, sir, that is not helpful. Are you going to help my mother or not? And that was a story I had shared. Yeah. And and because we don't know how to manage people in trauma, we don't know what to say, what to do. A medical professional who's, you know, I believe he is probably in his 60s. If he has that kind of response, you can bet the average person on the street, (laughs) I can tell you they do have a similar response. Yeah. That's... um... There's so much to unwrap here. And like you said, um, (laughs) there's a lot to unwrap here, but I want to do the first part with let, let's, let's talk about this, how important the suicide, you know, and because we don't talk about that and um, it needs to be talked about. And uh, because I think talking about it, like taking that whole stigma off of, you know, having thoughts that might not feel great and what we can do about that is really important. Giving people hope is the only reason I think I'm here. So talk to us about, you know, where can you call number one? First thing I want to know is there's a number you can call. Did you know there's a dedicated number for veterans as well? I have that in front of my book. I don't remember what the numbers are right now, but there's a dedicated number for people who have served in the military and are struggling. And, uh, there's also a, a general number, you know, England, I think it's Europe has gone to, what is it? Uh, an emergency number just for suicides. And we've gone to that too. Isn't there a three digit yes. number now? It's nine. Yeah. yeah it's nine, eight, eight. Yeah. That's a, I, I, I had read that. I'm sorry. I had forgotten that, that we, we do have to, 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 to deal with that. And also one of my chief gripes is the, the, a person like me, we're known as suicide survivors, curious term, but it's somebody who has endured a suicide to a, a spouse or a child. We're known as suicide survivors. Suicide survivors are 12 to 48 times, not percent times more likely than the average person to take their own life. I'm in a group on Facebook called, uh, well, it's a social media group specifically for women who've lost their significant others or husbands. And in that group, in the short time I've been in that group, we've already lost four women to suicide. No. Yes. So if you want, if if we're really serious in this country about dealing with suicide and figuring how to, to ratchet it down a little bit, how to help people, let's identify the people who are known to be very high risk. And those are people like me who have survived the suicide of a close loved one. But actually what really happens is we are the 21st century lepers. My husband was a prominent attorney and I was a successful author. We had lots of friends. We had fancy yard parties. We had lots and lots of fancy people in our life. And after this happened, they disappeared. And what's interesting is the people who came, who rushed into the fray were the people who'd been on the edges of my life and what the world might identify as your average folks or working class who knew the pain of being isolated through no fault of your own, through a trauma that had nothing to do with you. And the other thing we do is ascribe blame, as is so common. I was interviewed by the police after my husband killed himself. And the question was, where were you? What was the nature of that last argument you had? We've got to stop that. To me, it's akin to what we did to rape victims in the 60s and the 70s. What were you wearing? Why were you on the street at 2 a.m.? Why were you in those heels? What were you doing in a bar? 
We've got to stop that. We're still in the dark ages of dealing with the victims of suicide. It's it's ridiculous. And then the other thing that happens is people are afraid of people like me. They don't know what to do with you. You scare them. It's like during the visitation, the when the people would stroll past the casket and greet me and talk to me, they'd say things like, I don't know what in the world I'd ever do if anything happened to my Bobby. I'd just lay down and die. That is comforting them. That's not said to help me. So people need to take a breath and think about what they're saying to somebody who's been through a tragedy like that. And the best thing you can do, if you can't think of anything to say, just say, I love you. And I'm bringing you a cheese and potato casserole Tuesday night. Show up and shut up. But we don't, we're so far away from handling that in society. I mean, it really is akin to what we did to women. You know, when women even started talking about rape in the 40s and 50s and 60s, we're still doing that to suicide widows. Well, you were a spouse. How could you not have known? One year after my husband's death, I got a text from an old friend, somebody who'd been very close to my husband and I. And I was like, oh, my gosh, somebody's texting me. This is so cool. Maybe I'm back and considered part of society again. And the text said, did he kill himself because you were cheating on him? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to stop. Because you know what? I wasn't. But even, there are women out there who lose a husband when they, they make maybe a not great decision. It doesn't matter what they did. And one of the great uh, bits of peace that came to me, because my husband and I, our last conversation was a not good argument. And he sent me a text right before he did this that was not good. And that text was seen by the cops. And it went far and wide that I was the reason he did this. And no one person, what what finally gave me peace, somebody told me this. They said there was nothing you could have done to stop him from doing this. And there was also nothing you could have done to make him do this. You just weren't that important. I'm not responsible. Nobody is responsible when somebody decides to end their life. They're just not. And society has to reframe how we think about this and stop blaming people. I mean, it's enough. My husband's gone. My life is a mess. I mean, he had a good income. When he died, my income went to zero. So everything about my life changed. The bank foreclosed on my house, on and on and on and on. But then I have to deal with society too. We've got to find a way to help people who are in similar circumstances. I mean, we really are still in the dark ages and an unenlightened time and how we're dealing with people who are suicide survivors. You you mentioned that you're in a group and I'm just like I said, that's that's, you know, one step. I mean, it's just one step. And but I'm sad to hear you say you've lost four people in that group. Um, What suggestions do you give people? What are things people can do who have survived and and because blaming and complaining to somebody trying to find out what the issue is. Cause even if your person didn't die of suicide, I know you question what you could have done. You will question that. At least I know I did. So to have that people questioning you would be more than I think most people could bear. So it I pushes you hard in a bad direction. So what are some things that, that that are out there for people who are survivors of suicide, like you say? I'm not sure. I My focus, I guess, is more on the people around them. The people around them need to take them in to help them. I actually lived with somebody for four months after my husband did this because I could not live alone. I lost a tremendous amount of weight. So it's really more about the people who surround them. 
but don't ask questions. You know why he did this? There must have been a reason. Do you know I had a minister at my church tell me, and that was the last time I went to that church. Minister said, there must have been a reason he did this. Do you need to confess something to us? Oh, Lord. Okay. And I said, what are we going for here, huh? Are we going for that maybe I cheated? Is, is that is that the goal? What are we talking about? And he said, yes, we can't be naive about these things. And I said, I think we're done. Oh, my God. You know, um, Rosemary, you've said some really powerful things. And I I thank you for being so candid. I think you being candid um, is important for our viewers to hear because, you know, it's hard. I don't want to say it's hard when, you know, somebody's lost somebody and you see them. and, And I know our own beloved Teresa can answer to that. Um, people don't always know what to say or how to say it. This is in almost a room by itself, right? I mean, this is so complicated and so huge. So I just really want to thank you for being so candid. We're coming up to our 12 minute here for our first um, session. We're going to come back and we're going to hear more from Rosemary Thornton um, and her book and her experience. So again, uh, stay with us. It's going to get really good. Sorry. Reach out to us with ideas and comments. Email the Breakfast Club at WCSY.com. Altogether, no spaces, the Breakfast Club at WCSY.com. We'll be right back. The South Haven Bangor and St. Joseph Banking Centers, a division of Sturgis Bank, believes in community. That's why they're proud to sponsor the Breakfast Club Friday mornings at 830 on Cozy FM. At the South Haven Bangor St. Joseph Banking Centers, it's people that make the difference. People that can help you build or expand your business. Stop at any of their branch locations in South Haven, Bangor, St. Joseph, or visit SturgisBank.com. Equal housing lender, member FDIC. Vassar Chiropractic and Rehabilitation, downtown South Haven, works to get you out of pain, back to doing the things you love, and avoid invasive procedures. Dr. Vassar believes that working together with you to achieve your goals is one of the most fulfilling experiences. For a different chiropractic experience, learn more and make an appointment at VassarChiropractic.com. Proud sponsors of The Breakfast Club on Cozy FM. Vassar Chiropractic and Rehabilitation, 330 Kalamazoo, downtown South Haven. This is The Breakfast Club on Super Hits, 103.7 Cozy FM. Highlighting what's good. The Breakfast Club on Cozy is sponsored by Whiteford Wealth Management in South Haven. Let them help you build wealth at whitefordwealth.com. The South Haven, Bangor, and St. Joseph Banking Centers of Sturgis Bank and Vassar Chiropractic and Rehabilitation for a different chiropractic experience. VassarChiropractic.com. And now back to The Breakfast Club on Cozy. Thanks again for listening to our show on Cozy FM every Friday morning at 8.30 streaming and podcasting at WCSY.com. Just click where you see podcasts. I'm Paul A. Decker with Rosalie Placati and Teresa R. Getman, all set for part two of today's Breakfast Club. Well, we're kind of wrapping up the first part of the show, but they all blend together. So, it, But the moral of the story here is if you know someone who is a suicide survivor, meaning they've experienced a suicide from somebody close, friend, something, wrap your arms around them and keep your mouth shut as much as possible and bring a casserole. And that's basically, and then I'm simplifying it very much, but truly after the death of someone that I love more than anything else, some of the things that were said blow my mind. So I hear you and 
I want to talk about, you know, and I'm hoping people, if they need help, will call 988 for suicide help. And there's a special line. I mean, it's easy to Google stuff, but we'll put it on our website or our, when we Rosalie promotes it. But um, you authored a book, Remembering the Light, How Dying Saved My Life. I have got to, because this is, was so important to me because I got a hold of you and I read you after um, losing my husband. So will you just take as much time as you can to share your book with us and your story? Well, every night of my life after his death, I mean, he was the love of my life. He was, I thought, the most perfect match. I thank God every day for having found him in my wedding vows I publicly thank God that this man had come into my life and for it to end this way, I could not believe it. I do not believe that God dangles lovely things in front of us just to yank them away. So one of the great losses of my life was my trust in God. That's what went away. And when, when you have been a very spiritually minded person your whole life and the thing that you think you waited your whole hard life for gets yanked away in such a fashion and with it goes your home your societal standing your everything you really i mean i felt like job had a good deal you know he got to keep his wife um i was devastated but i did pray three prayers every night and this is no joke i prayed god either heal me or let me die i cannot continue in this state and i also prayed uh no more hard decisions I had had many hard decisions, legal kind of decisions to make after his death, and I couldn't face any more. I was down to a point where I had, I bought a bunch of white polo shirts and blue jeans. So every morning I could just reach in the closet, grab a shirt and a pair of jeans and no more decisions. And then my third prayer was, I asked God, when I die, I don't want a life review. I had seen what I looked like after my husband's death. I I didn't want to see myself go through that a second time. So then 29 months out, I was diagnosed with stage two cancer. Um, and I was, uh, they did a gynecological biopsy and it was after the biopsy that something went terribly awry. And I was, I ended up in a, an emergency room and they made a few more boo-boos. Um, and I bled to death. I literally bled to death. And it's actually a pretty peaceful way to go. And the ER wasn't really, I'm not sure they really knew all that they were doing because one of the things they did was give me a morphine derivative, which, you know, when I share this story in a public audience, you can just see all the medical people go, yeah. Oh my gosh. Did they really do that? Uh, and that kind of greased the skids to the afterlife for me. (laughs) So it's all in all pretty peaceful passing, but I woke up being catapulted out of my body. It was a deep, dreamless state I'd been in, and I was literally catapulted out of that body. And I was floating away in this blackness, and and I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm out. I'm clear. I'm good. And it really felt like the 59 years of my life had gone by in the blink of an eye. And I thought, you know, I got so wound up, all, all wound up around the axle over this whole life experience. It's over. And I praised God over and over again. I, I always kept a list of five things for which I'm grateful every single day. And when you do that, it kind of gets down deep into your soul. So I'm floating away from my body saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I thought about, uh, uh, what is it, Corinthians 10, 13, that says, God will show you a way out. I thought, this is it. 
I'm, I'm out. I, I seriously, listen, I really thought about the fact that I'd been given, uh, I had been granted early release for good behavior. And I mean, I thought about the fact that I was supposed to start chemo and, uh, radiation. And I thought about the fact that I had some bills that were due. And I thought this has ceased to be a problem. I don't need to worry about this anymore. I mean, I, the, the amount of self-awareness I had was startling. I didn't know we take all those memories with us. And one of the things that happened early on, I mean, there was a lot, but one of the things that happened early on was I, uh, I've been a writer for 35 years as I'm floating further and further away from my body. I mean, I've been a big fan of NDEs, near-death experiences. I knew exactly what was happening. Plus, there was no mistaking it. I mean, you know, it's not looking good, bleeding to death, and boom, you're, you're floating away from the body. And I thought to myself, you're dying. And then I thought, no, actually, you're not dying. You're dead. Because when you're going on to your reward, the most important thing is correcting your tense. And I thought, you're still funny. You're really funny. And I cracked myself up and I laughed out loud. And I thought, this is great. Everything I am went with me down to my goofball sense of humor, my funny little giggle, my macabre view of life or whatever this is. But it was so reassuring that even though I didn't have breath sounds, I didn't have vocal cords, I didn't think I did, I didn't have ears, I still laugh the same. I still sound the same. And I still am the same. And I had the thought, what exactly did I leave behind on that gurney? And I thought fear, anxiety, woe, sadness, regret, guilt. The guilt that I had experienced subsequent to his death was unimaginable. I felt like when, you know, in the 29 months prior, I felt like I should be dead because no one should be allowed to live if they hurt somebody that much that they end up killing themselves. I mean, the amount of guilt I put myself through, you know, in the Bible, it says the serpent beguiled Eve and the root word, the etymology of beguiled is the same as guilt. It's a trick. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, as I, as I, anyway, so I was floating away from my body and so many things happened. But one of the things that happened was I felt welcomed home. I, my whole life, I felt like such an oddball and a weirdo. And that was one of the things that was a real bonding point for me and my husband. He was a, a very smart man, and he also considered himself kind of an oddball and a weirdo. I mean, our idea of a big night was we'd go to bed early and read books to each other. And our favorite topic topic was early 20th century American history. Our first date, we had this long debate about who was the worst president of the early 1900s. And you know, we, it went on and on and on and on. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, I found a man with whom I can discuss Grover Cleveland and the inadequacies of his presidency. How great is this? <laughs> so as I was floating away from my body, I just thought, this is great. This is this was a good ending. I even thought about the fact that our whole life we kind of well, I did kind of wonder how you're going to go out. Right. Asked and answered. Apparently, it's going to be a medical boo boo that sends me to my reward. So it was. Uh, there were just so many thoughts pouring through my head so fast, and it was like my whole lo- my whole life I'd been on sixty amps, you know, sixty amp service. I got a background in construction too. And it felt like I'd been, I, I'd been upgraded to 100,000 amps and all these thoughts from all these directions. And I had spiritual beings or angels with me, comforting me. But if the whole thing could be reduced to three words, it was very easy to do. And it would be, welcome home, dearie. I felt like they, they had been watching, you know, they'd been seeing that life had been hard for me. And I had this little space where it had been happy. And then it went away. And I felt like the angels were saying, yeah, we know that was bad, but here you are. Look at you. And they were so happy to see me and genuinely proud of me. You know, one thing my dad could never say, my dad took off when I was 14, gone, gone, gone. But one thing he could never say to me is, I'm proud of you. 
you know, I wrote books. I had a lot of success with my little books. So these people really liked me. And then I just felt so comforted. You know, a lot of people, when they have an NDE, they talk about the love that they feel. I would talk about the peace. The peace was perfect. I even thought about the Bible verse, the peace that passeth all understanding. And I thought, this is that peace. And you know, they think that Paul in the Bible had a near-death experience. He talks about it, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. It's that Bible verse where they think he's talking about himself having been near death and, and returning from that experience. So this just went on and on and on. And, and ultimately, I was shown a white door in a white room. And I was like, I've read those books. I know what that door means. That door means... <laughs> I passed through that door and I am out of here. I am truly out of here. But I was kind of stopped at the door, kind of sort of maybe stopped. And uh, I was told I needed to go back. And I said, uh, wrong Rooney, I'm not going back. <laughs> and uh, they said, it, it's, it's kind of a long story, but I, I was encouraged to go back. I was told that the nurse who had attended to me at the end, uh, right before I passed out, that she would be devastated by my death. In fact, I was shown a vision of her sobbing because right before I passed out, I was pretty stressed. You know, when I was back on the gurney and still conscious and I exacted a promise from her. I said, promise me you're not going to let me die. And oh. she said, oh, honey, we have many solutions for this. We're not going to let you die. So just as I'm ready to go through that door, I see that nurse. I have a vision, very powerful, clear vision of her sitting on a little uh, metal stool in a hospital supply room, head in her hand, sobbing uncontrollably and saying, I promised that woman I wasn't going to let her die. And I lost her. I thought, eh, she's my age. She's lost people before she'll get over it. But then I was, um, I was shown the pain. I, I was given the pain she'd experienced in losing me after promising that she wouldn't. And I realized that was the same pain I had lived with for 29 months, the guilt, the grief, the regret. And I thought, if I can spare somebody that much pain, I guess I have to go back. And honestly, it's kind of a, you know, sneaky Pete maneuver to get an empath that way, you know, but it worked. Uh, and, but one of the things during this experience that went, as I say, the experience felt lasted about hours, hours and hours. I was told if I agreed to go back, I'd be restored to wholeness. So they got me. Yeah. And, and so, what people don't ahead. understand is, no, go ahead, Rosalie. No, I was just, then what happened? I mean, I am totally engrossed. <laughs> I just want story. them to know you can't end there. <laughs> yes. You were pronounced dead. Or... Well, I was gone for more than 10 minutes, which is quite dramatic because the interesting thing about bleeding to death is they can't do CPR, which I think is fascinating. Uh, they can't do CPR because it just pushes more blood out of your body. So I had, I did interview an emergency room physician about to write my book. And he said, first thing to do is plug the leak, refill the tank and restart the heart. So according to medical belief, I should be pretty significantly compromised. But when I came back, uh, you know, I was back in that body in just a flash and, and there's a nurse, I can't remember the same nurse, but the nurse is in my face. And she said, what is your name? And I said, Rosemary, she said, what year is it? I said, 2018. She said, where are you? And I said, a crummy excuse for an ER. Ooh, so wow. I think I think they realized that there had not been a significant compromise in my mental status. But that is risky business. When you bring somebody back after that much time, what are you bringing yeah. back and are you doing the right thing? Yeah. And when I came back, I went back to my, uh, I was in the hospital for several days. I went back to my oncologist and I said, good news. I was healed in heaven. And he said, listen, you're, you're going to be in that chemo chair as soon as you recover from this incident. And he said, the radio, it was going to be, uh, 
it was, I think it was, uh, I can't remember chemo radiation. One was one day a week and one was five days a week, but whatever. Uh, and I said, no, the good news is I was healed in heaven. I don't need to do that. He said, he was very angry, actually, and he ended up writing mentally ill on my chart, which kind of cracked me up. And I had to go to, you know, they do these patient portal things where you can go online yes. and look up your chart. Yes. Well, I thought that was pretty nervy that he wrote mentally ill on my chart, knowing I'd see it. But I had to find another oncologist in another part of the state. She waited a time and she did a second surgical biopsy. But this time she took a lot of flesh from a lot of places. And uh, she woke me up from, uh, you know, my dead uh, drug-induced state, and she shook me awake, and she said, you are right. Not only is there no cancer present, but your flesh is so pink and pretty and perfect. I wouldn't believe you ever had cancer had I not seen the original scans and tests. So it was very dramatic. And, and, and I mean, there was a lot more. The bigger thing, and I tell people this, the bigger thing was the healing of my soul, you know, when I got home, I opened my Bible and it flopped open to the 23rd Psalm. And it, the line, he restoreth my soul, looked like it was highlighted. It looked like it was illuminated. And I thought, that's the healing. And I was able to let go of all that grief and re regret and guilt. I forgave myself. And I had to practice it. I forgave myself over and over and over and over again until I was like, yeah, I have, I have the ability to really let this go now. And then I forgave my husband. And then I forgave the people who had not shown me kindness. And I was able to just keep forgiving people and forgiving and letting it go. And it actually, it wasn't just a blink of an eye. I had to keep telling myself, you can let this go now. God has, has discharged this. This, this doesn't have any power anymore over you. And that was, that was the real healing. And, you know, of course, I'm very grateful that I didn't have to go through the traditional cancer treatments. But uh, it was life-changing, hence the title of my book, How Dying Saved My Life. And that's, thank you for saying that. I wanted to get the, your book title out there because we've run out of time, but we want people to be able to read more and be able to get in touch with you. And if, if that's what you want people to get in touch with you, or I can just give them your book, but you give them the info that you want them to have. Uh, my website is temporarydeath.com because I prefer that to near death. Mm -hmm. So my website is temporarydeath.com and there's a contact rose button on it. All right. Thank you. You know, I just have to say, I know we have to get off. Paul's ready to go, but um, I have to thank you too. You've been an amazing guest with an amazing story mm. and amazing message. So thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Wow. We love it when you share ideas and comments with us. Email The Breakfast Club at WCSY.com. One long word, no spaces, The Breakfast Club at WCSY.com. You can find podcasts of the shows there as well. And for more inspiration from Teresa R. Getman, visit EnterprisesLLC.com. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Breakfast Club, highlighting what's good every Friday morning at 8.30 as experts, organizations, and event planners focus on the positive and relevant ways to experience hope. The Breakfast Club on Cozy is sponsored by Whiteford Wealth Management in South Haven. Let them help you build wealth at whitefordwealth.com. The South Haven, Bangor, and St. Joseph Banking Centers of Sturgis Bank and Vassar Chiropractic and Rehabilitation for a different chiropractic experience. VassarChiropractic.com. Join us again next Friday at 8.30 for The Breakfast Club on Super Hits 103.7 Cozy FM. Find a podcast of today's show at WCSY.com.
Vassar Chiropractic and Rehabilitation, downtown South Haven, works to get you out of pain, back to doing the things you love, and avoid invasive procedures. Dr. Vassar believes that working together with you to achieve your goals is one of the most fulfilling experiences. For a different chiropractic experience, learn more and make an appointment at VassarChiropractic.com. Proud sponsors of The Breakfast Club on Cozy FM. Vassar Chiropractic and Rehabilitation, 330 Kalamazoo, downtown South Haven. The South Haven Bangor and St. Joseph Banking Centers, a division of Sturgis Bank, believes in community. That's why they're proud to sponsor the new Breakfast Club, Friday mornings at 8.30 on Cozy FM. At the South Haven Bangor St. Joseph Banking Centers, it's people that make the difference. People that can help you build or expand your business. Stop at any of their branch locations in South Haven, Bangor, St. Joseph, or visit SturgisBank.com. Equal housing lender, member FDIC. At Whiteford Wealth Management, they have the pleasure of serving clients in nearly half of the country from their beloved South Haven. Rest assured, with Whiteford Wealth Management, you will always get simple, candid advice based on the wealth of knowledge and experience in tax, legal, and investments. Clients trust Whiteford Wealth Management with their life savings, and they earn that trust by recommending products that they use themselves. Whiteford Wealth Management. Let them help you build wealth. WhitefordWealth.com. Proud sponsors of The Breakfast Club on Cozy. The Breakfast Club on WCSY-FM South Haven is paid for by Enterprises, LLC.